welcome back to the Free Reeling It podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jesse, and with me is your other host. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I wish I was as dreamy as Alan Delon. Have you seen what Alan Delon looks like now, though? I mean, you know, time time is undefeated, and uh, you say that, but there's a few out there that I'm like, uh, you know, not y- y- time doesn't do what it's done to Alan Delon to everybody but it does it to a lot of us fair um but i mean granted i've the only alan delon movies i've seen are from the 60s when he was at his you know probably prime in terms of attractiveness so i've always just looked at that dark dark hair and blue eyes just sort of been smitten um so if you didn't know already, we're talking about Lissam, right? <laughs> <In this episode laughs> yeah. really, we're just jumping yeah. right into it. Yes, we are um, talking about the uh, Jean-Pierre Melville masterpiece, as far as I'm concerned. Thank uh, you for Lissam. doing all the French. I cannot do anything. Oh, it, it's it, it'll. It, I'm I'm good at points and and bad at points. So uh, this is going to be fun. Um, so um. I'm kind of going to take the mic from you a little bit here. Take Jesse. the mic from me. It's your picture. You, you get to take the mic. Do you know much about uh, Monsieur Melville? I know nothing. Okay, cool. So uh, Jean-Pierre Grumbach, I'm guessing there, was born in 1917 in Paris. Uh, his family were Alsatian Jews. And after the fall of France in 1940 in World War II, Grumbach ended the French resistance to oppose the German Nazis who occupied the country. He then uh, adopted a pseudonym, uh, Melville, after the American author Herman Melville, a favorite of his. So that's where the Melville comes from. But also in terms of like cinematic history, he's often regarded as one of the fathers of the French New Wave. Um, And the French New Wave is kind of without the french new wave uh i don't think cinema ends up where it is today not just in france but like in most of the world yeah now i know i know france at that point was taking a lot of cute like the reason the french new wave sort of came about it was a lot of it was a lot of film nerds getting behind the camera and saying this is what we've learned from watching hollywood and we're going to put our own spin on it because really what they were doing it's not necessarily it's not like they were going after billy wilder or william Wilder or um any of the or, or even john ford but they were going after like the the lesser known Humphrey Bogart pictures, the um, uh, the more the more uh, 40s film noir uh, and hard boiled aspects like those are the big French New Wave films that tend to stand out among people getting into the getting into the period. But I think they were also trying to they were also trying to do their own sort of spins on looking at the heavy drama as well yeah and i think les samurai specifically does uh like it it kind of it does a really good paul's boutique of like 40s film noir and uh samurai tropes i was about yeah i was about to say like it, as much as this is like parroting like american noir and stuff it's very much like rashomon where it's like it's a lone man up against an unstoppable force trying to find his way out of it 
Right. And, and getting it and, over his head without realizing it too. Well, see, and I'm, and, and see, and, and the one thing I grapple with is I think when I first saw it, I'm like, wow, he made some, he makes a lot of bad decisions that just pisses off everybody that can take care of him. But then as I, as I've watched it multiple times since I first saw it in like 2004, I started to realize this might be a, a fate of uh, the main character's own design. I, it's definitely in the second half. I think, I think from watching the the beginning part is he's done this a lot of times. Like he is a very much professional, especially with mm-hmm. my favorite shot, and it happens within the first five minutes of the movie is when he gets in the car and steals it. It's one of my favorite things. I, I backed it up and played it three times and then I showed my dad. Like it's like, look at this, look at how smooth this is. And so this is not a man who doesn't know what he's doing. Um and yes, yeah, being seen by uh the piano player was a mistake. That is definitely the biggest mistake he's made. But mm-hmm. it is a man who had one had one bad luck after another with a cop who's way too persistent. Like he should have mm-hmm. gotten away with uh four out of five people saying this isn't him. <laughs> right um and and, um getting hired by someone who is untrustworthy like that's 100 like his only fault is that he was trusted that the people that hired him would trust him right and turns out they didn't and that really screwed him over in the long run turns out sometimes the hands that feeds you also bites you yeah so like i i i uh I think for more than it until like till the light later half where he realizes like it's just going to keep escalating until I, I have to give up at some point is when he yeah. finally makes that plan. But I think at the beginning, like I watch it and it's like, no, he meant for people to see him so they can like get intimidated. Like he wasn't hiding himself in that second when he was leaving. It was being directly the witness by the piano player. That was the flaw. Well, sure. And I, I also think that, um, I th- and I think the way okay so anyway the the broad strokes of this movie is uh, essentially hitman yes hired and uh, he's 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 hired carries out the hit gets arrested by police almost almost by happenstance as far as I'm concerned yeah because the way the way that and I, I forget who the superintendent is played by i want to look it up real it's, quick it's because, uh frank pierre oh francois perrier okay see exactly per, I, can't. Per, I think it's i think it's perrier i think that's perrier not perrier the water because there's only one r in the middle but um but i think it's francois perrier um he's i've seen several things he's been in and that is kind of the way that he acts hi bagel i know it's fine um it's a little stormy outside it's okay it's okay uh but that is sort of his mo where he's like this he's like the stone-faced not too animated but ultimately very persistent and he doesn't he doesn't have a plan until he has one yeah for sure sort of sort of and 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 because really when they're when they're rounding up suspects for the lineup it's sort of like okay we're gonna we're gonna do a we're gonna do a sweep of the area anybody that matches this description bring in 
I love I love that he's like get at least five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, at least five. That's that that's such a he's like four hundred. He's like only four hundred suspects in all of like uh, what was it? And uh, all of like whatever the town they're in. He's like that's a very small. They're amount, in Paris. But, it is Paris. Yeah, Paris. But... He's like only four hundred men in Paris. That's not a big amount, but also that's a lot of people. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's um, but uh, I think that he's. See, working. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quick aside because I see this happen in in my own job. Yeah. Where, um, especially when I used to work in urgent care, where people would uh, use Web WebMD to they would Google their Google their symptoms, and then come in to urgent care saying they have this 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 and that. Yeah, cancer or something. <clears throat> yeah, it's just like don't don't if I mean if 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 Google if WebMD was right, you'd be dead already. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, because a lot of people say, "Oh, I have this 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 and this this means I have this means I have pneumoconiosis, but I've never been in a coal mine in my life." Well, then you don't have pneumoconiosis if you haven't been in a coal mine. Sorry, I don't mean to break it to you. Uh, you don't work in a place where you breathe in a lot of particles, so that that rules that out. It's not how you don't just ha- you don't just acquire that. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think uh, one of the things that I hear that I would hear doctors say in urgent care: uh, if you hear hoof prints don't go looking for zebras; go looking for horses. And I think a lot. And I think what what this uh, superintendent does is he hears a hoof print and he says, I found my zebra and I'm just going to pin it on this zebra no matter what. Um, now, regardless of the plot sort of bringing us there and everything, this is, it's also like, he also says uh, a whole lot about like, well, I, it, the, the truth isn't necessarily what you say or what someone else says. It's what I say because everyone's going to believe me. Yeah. And it's like, wow, just leaning into the all cops are bastards thing right out, just right out in front. Um, but this isn't a, this really isn't a movie about that. But we are in 2021 watching a movie that has a cop as one of its central characters. So you're automatically have that in the back of your mind. Or at least I do. That's yeah. just me. Uh, but back to the back to Perrier just going after you know he has he has his you know little hook in so he's just going to hold on for dear life and hope it plays out and what i love is that it's it at least for the audience or, or at least for me as a viewer having seen it multiple times i still don't feel like he's right mhm yeah but I also don't feel like he, ha- I don't feel like he's completely wrong either. Um, Cause you see the lineup and then they're like, you see Alan Delon step up without his hat on. They're like, but he had a hat on. And he's like, well, put on your hat. It's like, and then one person's like, did he have a mustache? And he's like, why'd you shave your mustache? He's like, nah, I didn't, I never, never had one. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, it's hard. It's hard for me to like the, to talk about the inspector because He's also like you can watch him. He is a good detective because he realizes the unnerve of people, and also how stone like the um, that the 
that the main character that, that uh Costello is like he I think there's a line at some point he's like he was in here for hours and he never talked about the crime he never asked his questions he never did anything that is not what a suspect does yeah and so like he's not an idiot either so like mm-hmm. he, he even though he's like I don't have any evidence I know in my gut and from watching the people around him this is him it's too perfect to not be him yeah and yeah. I think that's one of the, the one of the more interesting aspects of the movie is that he was so meticulous to come up with the perfect alibi that's so perfect that it made him a suspect. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and see, and the funny, and getting back to just sort of the influence here, and I know I, I feel like I'm jumping around a lot. Please stop. And we jump me around all the time. So, okay, cool. Uh, House of Pain over here. Um, <clears throat> the sort of ritualized nature of the hitman that has sort of come up in in hitman movies since Les yeah. Samurai is almost codified here with the way that like you see the like the opening of the film is one of the is one of the coolest openings in my opinion because it's, it's just an empty room and, until you see some until you see that someone's in it yeah pause for a second i want I, I need to figure out what's going on with bagel i apologize yeah, and go cool let me just make sure i'm not getting a okay i want to make sure i was not getting a alert saying hey this is being recorded and do i need to close anything anyway okay so uh let's say back to the samurai because we just had a bagel issue what i like about the influence of this particular film is sort of hitman movies have a ritualistic sort of nature about them where it's all it's all about the preparation for the job regardless of what the job is and a lot of doing that is sort of codified here and this is where the correlation with like samurai movies comes in because i think the opening of this movie is like i'm not going to say it's one of the best photographs openings ever but there there's something super i'll i'll fast. say it that's i'll fine. say that it is that's that's totally fine I, I mean i'm not gonna not gonna come at somebody who has that who has that opinion at all but what i love is like it's an empty room until it's almost like a schrodinger's cat of of an intro because you're like oh this is an empty room and then you see alan delon exhale a puff of smoke yeah and you're like, oh wait a minute, nope, some there's someone here, <laughs> and really he's just sort of getting, he's getting to that headspace to do the job, even though he never really sort of leaves that the entire time. Yeah. Um, and then he he he, as if he were, as if he were, you know, a, a samurai prepping for a battle, he gets his he gets his he gets his trench coat on i guess it's trench coat or whatever looks stylish as hell while doing it puts on the fedora and you know does his little swipe across the the brim and he does that every time like this is my this this is my pre-game calisthenics almost yeah these are my layup drills before the basketball game you know yeah, um, I wonder if you had the same thought I did during that, or he put on the the trench coat and the fedora, and you're and I was just sitting there thinking like, 
nerds and incels have ruined this look. <laughs> and I was very oh, upset. Hell yes. I got oh, so hell upset yes. while I was watching because he looks so good. And I'm like, if I lost weight, I could be this man. Yeah. But well, it, but I would be I would be labeled like a weirdo because weirdos have adopted the look. Yeah. I mean, it, well, I mean, it, we could blame the Matrix for that in a lot of ways, but not the fedora though. No, not the fedora. Not the no. Way worse people have ruined fedoras since. Uh, most most of them are just boomers with attitude. Um, but yeah, I would totally agree because I mean, looking at movies of this era, I, I'm I do like the French New Wave a lot. And I do like film noir a lot. I do like hitman movies and crime films a lot. And this look is all over that. And it's one of the things like, I've looked at those and I'm like, man, if I were going to dress up like, I mean, not to say one of my heroes, but like if I were going to dress up like someone I see on the screen, like that would be what I want to dress up like. But also I look at other people who do that and I'm like, yeah. I don't know if mm, I'm not saying you're a bad person, but people have ruined this look and there's a, there's a connotation for it. So eh, whatever. But uh, if I, if trust me, if I could, if I could, if I could rock the trench coat, the way that Alan Delon does, I would, and I would not be sorry about it because he, he is a, beautiful beautiful man <laughs> i would like to talk about some facts of this movie real quick okay go right ahead there was an alternate ending yes where um Dalon's character was supposed to die smiling spoilers mm-hmm. you guys um and i guess melville was very upset to learn that he already did that kind of take in another movie <laughs> so they didn't do it. I just love that he's like you already you already done this scene. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, yeah. well, I, it's almost. I I think I, I watched. This is one of those ones that, uh, watching it on the Criterion channel. Like mm-hmm. I'm glad that there were several special features on the channel devoted to it. Yeah, I haven't got to look at those yet. Um, most of it is just it, it's just sort of like, uh, like you have a bunch of Criterion DVDs. You know mm-hmm. how some of them have those intros from people. Oh yeah. Well, and then some of them, there, there are people that are doing like almost like audio essay or video essays, but it's just them sort of talking to an interviewer. And it doesn't really feel like they're, it's, it's, it's it doesn't really feel like they're being asked questions. Cause like I could, I, there was one, I forget, I know her first name. I don't remember, know her last name, but her, her name is Jeanette and she speaks so eloquently on Melville and the, his position in the French New Wave, as well as Le Samurai. And it's basically like someone said, okay, Jean-Pierre Melville, go. And she just goes for what's like 30 minutes. And it is it is one of the most interesting things I've listened to out of a Criterion special feature in a while. Now, I'm not saying it's the most interesting ever because there are a lot of them that I've missed. But it was just, it was very fascinating to hear her go through each little salient point the way she does. Yeah, and uh, and uh, she basically mentioned that specific thing, and you and you see like the still of Alan Delon 
being freshly shot, looking towards the heavens with a big old smile on his face. And I think her remark is that, you know, Melville basically said, no, pretty boy doesn't get to be pretty at the end of my movie. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, uh, and I mean, uh, so what's your next fact? I have some movies too that were influenced by Les Emery. Um The Driver from 1978. Yep. Uh, John Woo's The Killer from 1989. Hell yeah. So much so that he wrote an essay in the Criterion DVD release. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Jarmusch's 1999 movie Ghost Dog the Way of the Samurai, which is also in the Criterion Collection, just came out like a couple months ago. And which was released on the channel as a double feature with this movie called Cool Killers. Yep. Um, it is dope. 2009's uh, Vengeance, which I guess the role is offered to Delon and he turned it down. The main, the main character role, whose last name was also Costello. The two, in 2009? Yeah, there was a, 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 it was a Japanese movie called Vengeance. I don't remember that one. Yeah, and a Chinese movie called Vengeance. And it was ju- directed okay. by Johnny Toe. And instead, he got another French actor to play the lead. And good reviews. Uh, I'm interested to check it out. But yeah, he wanted he wanted basically to really be like an, another version of that movie because it's a retired assassin whose last name is Costello. And he originally offered the role to Delon and he turned it down. Huh. Um, and then George Clooney's character in The American is supposedly very close to um uh, costello how he looks and how he acts oh same, yeah same I thing mean, with ryan yeah. gosling's driver and drive yeah it's i mean you could you could even make the uh the you could even make the argument that the main character is sort of the main character of baby driver is another take on this character where he's very minimal dialogue, very stone faced, but he has his sort of ritual and he does it before everything. I think that, I think, um, I think uh, a lot of, I mean, John Woo and the American, uh, well, the killer and the American aside, uh, a lot of, a lot of the ideas that are put forth in Le Samurai are kind of, this is how a hitman movie should go. <laughs> and, yeah. and it was, it was, executed well enough and actually high enough quality that everyone that's come on board since has sort of been like yeah because i think there's probably also some of this in the michael mann movie with tom cruise that i can't remember collateral oh, yeah i was about to say like so like when you talked about how this was a perfect like introduction to the setup of the assassin collateral is like i feel like the perfect deconstruction of this yes or Tom Cruise playing his assassin. I don't remember the character's name. It's such a chaotic assassin, but in but he he's controlling the chaos. He knows exactly what he's doing the whole time mm-hmm. um, until one of the one of the things finally breaks on him. Um, versus Costello in uh, *The Samurai*, where he's like, "I don't know the factors in every everything, so I will create my own." Right. Well, I also think I think Costello. Whereas Cruz's character in Collateral seems like he's done this for years. Oh yeah, for sure. To the point where he's like, okay, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure you could sit across across the table from the main character of Collateral and say, okay, you have this type of building. Th- these are your main exits. And he could basically say, okay, this is how I'm going to get in and out and you won't see me. Yeah. Uh, whereas Delon 
in, or Costello in Les Samurai, he's basically like, okay, I have, I have these sets of tools that get me into, that get me across these situations. Mm-hmm. If there's anything outside of that, I'll try my best, but I've never had to use anything other than these specific tools. Now, fingerprinting existed in 1967. Am I correct? I don't. I mean, I would assume so because he wears the he wears the white he wears gloves. the gloves, right? Exactly. Yeah. So why does he take them off after he assassinates the man before he's left the building? Um, I think he was. I think the plan was for him to leave without being seen. I, I get leaving that part where the piano player sees them, but like in general, though, like he, there's no way he can fully leave without being seen. They made that true. Clear. So it's like, why leave any evidence at all? Just in general. Well, also, like, think about the scene with the piano player. Yeah. They lock eyes for a significant amount of time. Oh, yeah. He could have 100% pulled her in the room and killed her, too. Like, he yeah. He, I, mean, go. I mean, that was a situation that could have been handled. Um, I, think but it, also, I think it's the gentleman assassin, though, kind of aspect of this, where he's like, no, I was paid to kill one man, and one man I will kill. I actually think it's something different that is sort of, I actually think he sort of reads her. And that's fair. And like, she knew it was like she knew something was up because you could also bring if you want to bring the logic into it she clearly knows that this man killed the boss of this club yeah there's there's absolutely i mean if anyone's going to finger jeff costello for this murder it's going to be her and even when they meet up later he's like you must have been told to you must have been told to say nothing with regard to me because clearly you were supposed to find him and i was supposed to be gone i think i don't think he goes into that kind of detail but clearly like that's sort of what was supposed to happen i think does that make sense no it totally does it's just it's one it's one of those things where i'm like how like how much how i guess this is this this goes back all the way to one of my not pet peeves just something that i always notice about like literature and cotton and college and stuff where mm-hmm. it's like w- we don't know the meaning of the actual piece because we can't talk to the creator <laughs> so we have to yeah. infer so much and, and and not that any of it's wrong it's just like i want to know which is the correct <laughs> yeah and but but see and then and then that's that's one of the things i love about old movies in general well i mean well i'll say good old movies yeah (laughs) because a lot of it is very a lot of it is very up to putting these abstract puzzle pieces together around this narrative because there's a there's a very there there you could read this in a very straightforward way yeah like you know like like you said at the beginning hitman performs job something goes wrong he's in over his head and he's kind of on the run for the rest of the film and what i love about this particular movie because i've seen you know plenty of hitman movies that are just like oh man man or hitman performs job looks cool doing it i mean like 
you know, I mean, it's just like the freaking transporter, except there's more to this than there is to the transporter. Yeah. And there's way less, you know, over the top, you know, cars flying in the air, whatever. Um, And because of this movie's like plausibility and relatability, you can, I think it allows for that examination. So like if the creator were around today, I think trying to pin meaning on any of it is, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of the better creators sort of realize that once the creation is sort of released into the world there's only so much they can sort of handle mm-hmm. and they, they a lot of the people who or a lot of the creators that sort of address that aspect of it, they say well here's what i intended but i recognize that people have gone other ways with this and i you almost can't a lot of them are either repulsed or accepting or just like you know what it's it's art it's yeah, it's open sure. to interpretation um and i think this is this is definitely one of the best of those around a simple hitman plot yeah for as simple as the plot is this movie is so stunningly well put together mm-hmm. um which goes to show you don't need an overcomplicated plot to make a movie right uh, what was i was watching something oh i was watching um uh, no sudden move, the new Steven Soderbergh movie, which is good. I'm not saying it's a bad movie, sure, by any means. But the plot is overly complicated for what that movie is being. Mm-hmm. And so when you finally get to the end and you get to reveal, you're like, I guess, like the whole. I don't want to spoil anything because it's a brand new movie came out like two weeks ago, right? Um, but the whole like crux of that movie isn't explained until like halfway through. And even then, you don't know why it's important until the end. And then you don't know why it's even more important until the end credits start scrolling and it tells you, like, facts about the true true story. And you're like, so the MacGuffin this whole time is so obscured because you're trying to make it vague and complex that by the time you find out what the MacGuffin actually is the whole time, you're like, well, I, I mean, it makes sense and it's fine, but I don't feel satisfied at all. We're, we're, we're in this like the MacGuffin is so clear and like the, the problems are so clear that you can mm-hmm. spend the rest of your time just enjoying the, the the feast of visuals and acting and everything right and and there's almost there's almost a, a universal sort of and I and I don't know how far I'm stretching here but it feels like I'm stretching a lot but this is almost like a Tom and Jerry chase. Yeah, no, or, for sure. Or, I mean, it's something that simple. And ultimately, you're just kind of like, well, what's Jeff going to do now? Popcorn, popcorn, popcorn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it goes back to us talking about how it's a samurai movie where a lot of samurai movies are your hero samurai is caught between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. How is he going to get out mm-hmm. of it? Like I keep going back because it's one of the few that I've seen recently. But um, I said Rashomon earlier. I was wrong. I'm talking about Yojimbo. Yojimbo is the one movie I was talking about. Rashomon is okay. a whole different other plot. But Yojimbo is like 
he goes to a village. They're like, hey, can you help us beat these other guys? He's like, sure. But uh, and, and like as he's as after he says yes, he realizes, oh, this situation's way more complicated than I made it out to be. Yeah. And now I'm stuck. Yep. And so he has to slowly figure out a way to get unstuck. Or in this movie, he's he's like, yeah, I'll do this job. The job becomes overly complicated. There's mm-hmm. parties on both sides that aren't giving up. So he's like, how do I get unstuck? And unlike Yojimbo, he realizes there's no way. There's no way to get yeah. unstuck from this unless I really want to go on a spree, which I don't think he wants right. to. Right. Because by, by the time he's, uh, he, he's reached the end, he seems extremely tired. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I think, I think that he's okay. So to get to basically barrel through the end uh, and I'm also going to touch on all of the samurai stuff here. Like when he goes to meet the blonde dude yeah, on a, a, a footbridge in the middle of Paris. And it's funny in one of the special features I, I watched, they talked about this footbridge and how it was basically you could drive by it every day for a week and not notice it's there. It's basically an innocuous part of France, but Melville makes it look like a, he makes it look like a larger than life place Yeah, and gives it so much cinematic weight, despite it. Like there's probably an argument for people going to Paris and saying, Oh, this is the footbridge that Les Samurai was filled on filmed on. And it not being the right one because it looks, it looks so nondescript, but the way Melville shoots it, it is, it is a duel in the seven at the, near the beginning of seven samurai. It is something out of the sword of doom. It is something out of uh, samurai rebellion. And instead of be, instead of swords, it is two men in fantastic looking suits. Yep. And Alan DeLong looking like a goddamn dreamboat. And I will not stop saying that. <laughs> um, but, and it's, it ultimately turns into a duel. And both characters get away. Uh, DeLong ends up with a wound, but I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily an L. Uh, but then later on at the apartment, when uh, the blonde guy shows up, I, I'm pretty sure his name is said somewhere, but I do not remember it. And I've not remembered it any time I've ever watched the movie personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is it is another samurai trope where the samurai working, you know, right out front, you know, armor ready, is accosted and trapped by a ninja. Like that is, that is, that is the trope there. I'm pretty sure you could probably point to most of the, most of the, uh, not necessarily Kurosawa samurai canon, but definitely like the next tier below like mm-hmm. more like your your sort of doom your uh your samurai rebellions your um your harakiris I'm pretty sure they're they're uh, there's a old samurai movie in a in the criterion collection called kill 
where I'm pretty sure ninja is sort of a cost, a samurai, at least I could be getting one or two of the movies mixed up. I apologize if I am, but ninjas and samurais operate differently. Samurais out front, ninjas in the shadows. And that's exactly what this blonde guy does by sneaking into Alan Delon's apartment and holding a gun to his face. Yeah. And one of my favorite shots forever in cinema is Alan Delon with a gun inches away from his head. And he's just looking at it like, and I've, and I've seen it in still so much that I just looking at the still of it sort of ascribes way more narrative weight than actually exists in the film. I mean, that might just be that, that might just be me, you know, really liking this, this picture, but it looks like a combination of a man resigned to die or he's about ready to double down and say, look, you're going to kill me. Fucking kill me. Yeah. Go ahead and do it. I dare, I double dare you. (laughs) And it doesn't see, and and it, it seems like both of those could be true in that particular still. Anyway, blonde guy is there sort of double down on another deal we have another idea we're going to pay you fully in advance now since we know you can do the job and uh and then that sort of triggers the he's going to kill the guy who gave him the contract now and i think what melville is doing here is he's doing the whole samurai are employees of a lord mm-hmm. and hitmen are employees of contractors. Yeah. That's what I mean. The, so the hitman goes, kills the person who gave him the contract. He is now a jobless hitman, essentially. Now a jobless samurai who has lost their lord ultimately commits harakiri. And then the final scene where he's basically as flagrant as he possibly can. He's like, hey, y'all remember me? And he makes sure to make eye contact with everybody mm-hmm. he, he, that looked at him in the police station. He's like, hey, it's me this time. I'm back. Hat check girl, remember me? Remember me? And she doesn't look happy to see him. Hey, bartender, remember me? Give me a whiskey. I'm not going to drink it, but you know, I, I, I got, I'm here to do some stuff here's my hat (laughs) and then he walks up and the piano player is like why jeff and he just pulls out his gun holds it there forever and is like because i was paid to and then he gets killed but that's also like the 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 i feel like that's the ritual because i think he gets shot four times yeah which is point, 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 point. So starting point across, ending point across, starting point up top, ending point up top. Because I believe it's like, that's what they do with Harikiri. They do like a side and up and down as well. Which is, you know, thinking about the mechanics of that, kind of gross, but I feel like that's what Melville, that's how Melville was shooting that particular idea. It also, 
reminds me uh, like comparing to samurai movies where like the, when the samurai has to make a decision that like, he knows there's no way out i kind of think it's been a long time since i've seen this movie so i honestly don't remember he lives or dies in it uh and last samurai the tom cruise movie um how like there's another movie that's just like this too and i can't remember off the top of my head where he's in the battle and he's like okay i guess i can go out swinging and the uh, and uh Como's character in this, he's like, I'm going out swinging by not pulling the trigger technically, by not mm-hmm. having the bullets in the gun, but I am doing the job technically. I'm showing them that I'm trying to do the job, but yep. he knows he's going to die anyway. So he lets them all stab him. And yeah, mm-hmm. he just doesn't get to pull the trigger. Like usually in a samurai movie, the samurai will get stabbed all the way through. He will die, but he gets yes. to behead like the, the, the person he's after still. Um, and so they don't give you that, but they, I think it's the same symbolism of that yeah i would agree with that i don't think that's the last samurai though but i know i I have no idea i'll be i know i know that's a trope though i know it's a trope it's definitely a trope oh it's definitely a trope it's a it's a it's a hitman trope it's a i mean i'm pretty sure if you remember swords though there's something that happens if you remember the movie last man standing which is oh yes the tim allen uh tv show no, I think this is Bruce Bruce <laughs> Willis. Uh, like this is a Bruce Willis film based on I think either Sanjiro or Yojimbo. I don't remember which one, but it's definitely like that idea. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure that's how that ends. You know, I figured out what I'm thinking of. You're gonna be upset with me. Okay, it's Naruto. Oh well, I I can't be upset with you. Because I've never seen Naruto. That's fair. It's uh, it's, it's how it's how one of the bad guys dies is he goes after the man that hired him, and while doing that, he gets stabbed a bunch. And it's ve- it's very much like this scene. Um, I'll have to show oh. you that. I'll have to show you that scene after we talk, so you kind of get what I'm saying. Um, I I have another tangent for us, and before we get back to the movie again. No, let's. I love a tangent. I love so a I, tangent. I'm looking. I was looking at the Wikipedia, and it's and this mm-hmm. movie's on a couple lists. And one of the lists that it's on is uh, movies with 100 percent Rotten Tomatoes. Now, let us put a big old asterisk on Rotten Tomatoes. People do not understand what Rotten Tomatoes uh, does. It seems like if you talk to anybody on the internet, um, Rotten Tomatoes averages review scores. Uh, yes. It doesn't average them like Metacritic. Metacritic takes the actual score and averages those. Rotten Tomatoes just takes is it positive or is it negative? That's all it mm-hmm. takes. It doesn't take point yes. value. It doesn't take anything else. It takes positive or negative. So mm-hmm. that does not mean that Le Samurai has a perfect review score. It probably has like a 70 or something. It just means every review that they have was positive. Right. I think I think I, I'm just, and I think our audience is smart enough to understand that. I just hate how misrepresented Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic are about how they balance things. It gets frustrating. Well, I like with Rotten Tomatoes, like the the I, I you're you're right. If you're just looking at it as something like, oh, that means. What is it? What does it say? Like Citizen Kane recently lost its hundred percent. Yeah, because they rating. uncovered a one negative review. That was technically they, satire. Yeah, they, yeah, and so now like there's people were saying that Paddington Two is clearly the best movie of all time because it's it just 100%. lost its hundred percent too. Well, oh, oh no, oh no, Paddington. Poor <laughs> well, Paddington. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying it's it's, it's right. not something to but base see, your entire life on. It's just to give you a, oh, a quick exactly. gauge. 
but see now, now the the way that and I agree with you they're both they're both frustrating and they're both I'll say incorrect because they present these numbers as facts that's the thing is i don't think they i don't think either present them as facts i think people just see them as facts and that's the word because well, of the issue. They, they they present well they kind of do because if you're going to tell me that metacritic doesn't sort of sell ad revenue based on well we've got all this and you know and oh for, how for many, sure for sure but how, like, how I, many how many companies use their metacritic score as a way to bonus their their employees that they are already fucking exploiting i i, I um, think i think that that's a whole different thing because i i think if they're trying to like prove like these our scores are facts they would hide the actual reviews better than or the sure. reviews and are that, super easy to access and the one thing i always sort of liked about rotten tomatoes and this is the way that i used it i never i never looked at fresh ratings or rotten ratings i would use it as sort of like oh okay i don't know who these critics are and i would go to i would when i was still like super into my film going days I would actually, there would be days when I worked an office job and I would be able to read like five or 10 reviews mm. in the middle of doing work because, you know, that was my office job. That was how busy it kept me because I only had to do 10 minutes of work every day. Um, <clears throat> but that was how I would use it. And I always liked that aspect of Rotten Tomatoes where it put the, it put the people who were reviewing things as a job mm-hmm. forward rather than metacritic where you can look at you can look at two scores you can look at the critic scores or the audience scores but no one wants to take into account that an audience can just review bomb for no goddamn reason they can do that on tornado too can they i didn't yeah, know that they definitely can okay See, at least I metacritic now that. puts a block on it until at least the movie's out okay um but anyways, back to back to the tangent tangent. Um, there was two other movies that came out in 1967 that also had 100 percent Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Would you like to know what those other two are? And you tell me. I would. I would love to know. Because I know you've seen at least one of them. Um, okay. So you tell me if they are better or just as good or worse than Les Samurai. Okay. So the first one is Branded to Kill, which is a Japanese shit. Movie. Fuck. So, <laughs> fuck. Why are you funny, doing I, this to me? I Jess? have not <laughs> seen this movie. I've seen I've seen Tokyo Drifter, which I think is a great movie. Well, um, which is by the oh, same director. Dude. Oh, dude. But oh, I've not seen Brandon. Oh, dude. Oh, dude. Seijun Suzuki is one of. Oh man. Seijun Suzuki is. Uh. Every time I watch one of his movies. I have an awakening and I'm not sure what's awakening, but it's like, I've never seen anything. Even if I've watched, even if I've watched the movie before and branded to kill, it's one of his best. Okay. Um, well, well, that's the one I didn't know if you've seen or not. So you should like oh, yeah. know the one I know you've seen. Okay. What's the one, you know, I've seen. Cool hand Luke. Yeah. I've seen cool. Hand Luke. Okay. So I will say this personal opinion cool hand luke is a worse film than Le- than lay samurai I, it, I i can agree with that 
I don't know. I don't know myself if I I think that, but I can definitely agree with that. Cool. I think Cool Hand Luke is uh, not as tight as the Samurai, but I don't think I think if, it's, I think it's meant not to be. If the composer of our theme song hears this, he will probably smack me in the head. And it's okay, Jason. You're one of my best friends. I will let you do it because I respect you as a human. Um, the Samurai doesn't have anybody eating a bunch of eggs, though. I'm just saying. That's true. That's true. And uh, the objectification of women probably isn't as present in like Samurai, but true. Um, but uh, I'm not saying both, Cool Hand Luke. Both have very a, similar endings. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I'm not saying Cool Hand Luke is a bad movie. I think I just like Lay Samurai more. To be honest, I think Cool Hand uh, Luke is more Yojimbo than Lay Samurai. That's pretty fair. Because uh, Yojimbo is a very lazy samurai. Right. Um, well, but he's, but is now, correct me if I'm wrong, is Yojimbo the one with the gun? Yes. Okay, so I think Yojimbo sees the gun. Is like, yo, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. Um. So, what do you? Where, where's Brandon to kill then? So, Brandon, Brandon to kill. I'm, I'm, I'm going to break the rules. It ties with Lay Samurai. Okay. Because I Brandon said, I said, kick tie. Brandon to Brandon to kill has such a left of the dial tone to it. that uh Brandon to kill is almost like if John Waters made a samurai movie no that's weird but it wasn't it wasn't just full of trash you know you know I lied to you there are a few more movies that came out in 1960 oh let's keep this going because the Wikipedia hasn't listed weird they have uh how the Grinch stole Christmas which is 1966 in the middle of the other two uh, one of them is called Portrait of Jason, which I've never heard of. It's a I, documentary film. I've never heard of that either. So, And the other one is called Don't Look Back, which is the Bob Dylan documentary too. And that's a great goddamn documentary. So, as far as I, I'm concerned. 1967 sounds like a good year for movies. Yeah, see, funny. 60, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's, uh, there's um, like... 1967, I think, in terms of cinema, was where the French New Wave started to really, you started to really see the French New Wave uh, starting to influence Hollywood. I don't remember when Bonnie and Clyde came out, but I think... It doesn't have a hundred, I can't tell you. Right, yeah. So if it doesn't have a hundred, what are we doing? But uh, I, I know like Bonnie and Clyde is sort of the kickstarting of the re- the film revolution that was sort of happened in the seventies in America, where you're you would get a lot of great new style directors like Martin Scorsese would come out of this, Coppola would come out of this, Spielberg would come out of this. Um, like you would get the, I, I think the French New Wave is a is a pretty big. I mean, Cassavetes would probably come out of this as well as a director. Um, but I think the French New Wave is ultimately a lot of uh, responsible for a lot of uh, black filmmakers in the seventies yeah. going behind the camera. I mean, I don't think you have a Melvin Van Peebles without the French New Wave, and. Uh, and yeah, like 
and Melville in 67 was, while well, he was definitely still operating on his own in a lot of ways, uh, Les Samurai is a very decent budget film. It's not, it's not, you know, made for nothing. And it's not like Clerks where it's, it's made for nothing. And all of yeah. a sudden puts the, puts a new idea on the map for, for lack of a better description. Um, and so yeah 67 is probably a pretty good year in terms of like world cinema to say like hey the french new wave is now ha- has now started to take over the world because i'm pretty sure schlesinger and uh, lindsey anderson in england were doing uh their thing that would probably be sort of a not necessarily a response but sort of a like uh, we've taken some of the new wave ideas on hand and and started to put it in our own work. So 67 is a really cool year. I agree. I, I, I think 67 probably has a lot more movies that I don't know about that I'm very interested to watch. Oh, sure. Um, so, okay, let's do our final last thoughts on The Samurai. Um, I think my favorite thing about the entire movie, and this is my last thought on this, my favorite thing about the entire movie is every single slight assassin thing he does. The the keys oh, hell yeah. when he steals the car, the way they change the license plate, um, the the way he hides his money, the, just having a bird, um, the way he <laughs> cleans up his wounds, like the way he sets up his alibi when he talks to her and she's like, and she's like, and I love my favorite line of the entire movie is that first scene with her. And she goes, um, you know, she's like, you know, the reason I love you is because you need me. Yep. <laughs> and like, it, yeah. it kind of puts in perspective her whole life where like, she's like, no one really truly needs me. I'm just kind of like an object to be used, but you mm-hmm. do, you actually need me. And so that's why I do this for you. Now, before uh-huh. we move on from before we move on from that point, did you notice that the cops do the exact same shit? Yeah. Okay. This movie's real good. So, yeah, this movie's this movie's dope. Um, my, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it again. My my, ultimately, my favorite movie or my favorite thing about this movie is dreamy ass Alan Delon. I mean, it's a really good I, part of the movie. <laughs> He's, he's, he's very, he's, he's, you know, I've never, I've, I've never really sort of identified as 100% straight, but fucking goddamn, Alan Delon, you are a beautiful, you, you are a beautiful, beautiful hitman. I don't care what time's done to you. Um, and uh, other, other than just looking into his are pretty people wonderful... Huh? A lot of pretty people in this movie. Overall. Oh, definitely. But uh, uh, apart from looking into his wonderful blue eyes, I love the, I like the cinematography in this film. It's so good. Like it's so good. I see a lot of ideas that Kubrick would use. All the wide shots. The the wide shots, the use of shadows, especially when you're in uh, the piano player's place. When they're walking down that hall, the symmetry, like that's it, it, clearly Kubrick was looking at that, going, "Hmm, that's a good hallway shot. I should use that later." And then he would use it in multiple films. <laughs> um, the 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 
I, I think the, I don't know if it's, I, I'm going to say it like an American, but the, the mise scene, but I think it's actually mise-en-scene, uh, just the way each shot is constructed in this film, while it doesn't remind me of uh, a director of samurai films, it reminds me of uh, the filmmaker Yasujiro Ozu. Yeah. Where uh, he, every scene in one of his films, it's set up like a photograph in an album. And every detail is so finely placed, but sometimes it looks like a complete mess. But it's such a choreographed mess that you can't really tell. Yeah. Um, and my last point on that is when the way the in the when Perrier is leading Delon around to all of the people asking whether or not this is the guy that killed the club owner the final one where he's looking where they're with the piano player they basically bring Delon to the camera and the camera just looks straight at him and then flips around to the piano player they have their little back and forth when I was toying with the idea of going into filmmaking uh and i say was like i stopped never really did um i love how this sort of breaks the 180 degree rule in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. like you're not supposed to turn a full 180 you're supposed to sort of keep it but you're supposed to keep it between 180 degrees on either side uh, and this is a straight up Yasujiro Ozu moment because most of his conversational dialogue is one person looking directly at the camera and then flipping around and looking at the other. Yeah. So it puts the audience there. So it's just all of a sudden you're looking up at Alan Delon and you're like, do we want to identify him? Mm -hmm. And then it flips around and you're out, you're in Alan Delon's place. And he's like, do you want to identify me? <laughs> And, and you see, you, you see, and you, you see each person's position and you empathize with where they're at. Yeah. And I feel that that is a, a lovely strength of this film. And I think that only happens with good cinematography and, and mise-en-scene, if that's how yeah. you say it. Uh, not French, apologies for butchering the language. Uh, but yeah, cinematography. This this movie's so good. <laughs> it's it's really. We could talk about good. all night if we had the time. I mean, I you know, I I'm I'm told we don't because I'm told I have to work in the morning. Same here. And and uh, I'm told that if I don't, uh, might not be able to get a paycheck. So unfortunately, I have to I have to I have to submit to the Almighty God of Capitalism on this one. Um, so let's move to what we've been watching. Yeah. So since last week, and I've seen three movies. Good, because I was going to start with you. Um, I watched Memories of Murder, which is very good. That's oh, the I'm second uh, Bong Joon-ho oh. movie. I hope I said his name right. Um, Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Bong Joon-ho. 
uh, it's the second movie I believe he's he he directed. Um, it's based off the first serial killer in Korea, uh, in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very interesting. I don't want to talk, talk spoilers because it is interesting how he correlates the movie to the, the actual serial killings, because there's certain things he wouldn't do because of what happened in the killings. Um, and how the investigation of that went, but it's it's such a very, it's such a very compelling movie. It reminds me very much of Seven, um, but less uh, over the top in the ways that that early Fincher can be. Yeah, um, I watched Snake Eyes. Went to the theaters and saw Snake Eyes. Um, I thought Snake Eyes wait, was a good movie. Um, wait, wait, wait! Hang on, hang on, hang on. Yes, Snake Eyes. What is it? Oh, G.I. Joe, Snake Eyes. Oh, okay. Uh, about, about, the, about the ninja Snake Eyes from G.I. Joe. Okay, all right. So not 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 the not not, the, not, not, Nick, not Nick Cage Snake no, Eyes. No, 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 not Nick Cage Snake Eyes. I had the same problem. I talked about it in the Discord and one of our friends uh, yeah, were like I, Nick Cage. I'm like, wait a minute. I I remember you mentioning this. I'm like, you didn't, and I and I couldn't remember which one you saw. <laughs> so no, no, I saw the new Snake Eyes. Um, tell me about this G.I. Joe Snake Eyes. Yeah, it's okay. So. As far as a movie based off a cartoon franchise and a toy franchise that mostly has its lore in comic books, it's, it's, it's good. The, the issue, I, the biggest issue I have with it is whoever directed or edited the action. And I've said this to everybody who's, who's let me talk about this movie. Watch too much Bourne and was not paying attention close enough to the actors that they had because they had uh, Andrew Koji, who's, one of the lead, who's the lead actor in Warrior, which he mm-hmm. plays literally the Bru- the uh, the Bruce Lee character, who Bruce okay. Lee was going to play himself. So the man mm-hmm. knows how to fight. Right. Um, they had the lead actor from the Raid franchise. Oh shit. Yeah, and there and and uh, there's other like main martial artists. I don't know the names off the top of my head, but they they were in there, and you can see that they were doing the actual stunts, but the mm-hmm. camera was always like shaky for no reason, and it was always doing close-ups of the wrong action <laughs> so i don't get it but as the story goes as acting goes i think the acting was pretty good i think the story was was like a fun popcorn story um okay i think i just i hope they had it gets another one because i would like to see this movie done with the right camera direction on the action the only time it got better in the second half but the only time that the camera work worked for me was the first fight because it's a very crazy like street brawl like a pit brawl and the main the lead actor gets thrown into like center blocks so i'm like okay you're doing the shaky cam you're doing the close-ups it's because it's a very claustrophobic fight i this is totally fine but then he does it for the whoever i don't know who edited or directed the action but i don't because i don't know whose fault is it. i don't know if it's the editor or if it's the director um but it's like every, not every fight was claustrophobic like that so don't do that <laughs> don't do the born right. every fight um and then I watched uh, last night because I'm like, I need to finish something that I haven't finished yet. I finished Hot Rock. Okay. Oh, wait. I lied. I watched some, I think I watched, did I watch California Split last time we talked or had I watched that? No. Too? I, oh, no okay. <laughs> so, so I watched Whoa. California Split and Hot Rock too. Okay. Well, so I, I've not seen Hot Rock, but hearing you talk about it when we were talking about Oh, I watched another movie. movie too. I forgot. I watched a lot of movies. I guess as last great, week. great. Um, but... I watched the El Camino Breaking Bad movie, but that's based on Breaking okay. Bad, so it's not a big deal. All right. So California Split talked to me about Elliot Gould in California Split. Um, I think Elliot Gould is 
very good in California Split. I think California Split is a very good movie about gambling and being addicted to gambling. I don't know if I think California Split is a movie that I will ever rewatch though. <laughs> oh no, that makes total sense. That ma- honestly makes total sense. It's not sense. depressing. It's just it's very plotty in a way that I don't oh, yeah. tend to go back to. It's it's one of the, so I like that you are start you are watching Altman. Yes, uh, I, 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 well, I was watching. It was the collection that was on Criterion for uh, for George Siegel. Movies. George Siegel, yeah. Which I think Altman has a collection has a has a collection on there as well. So, yeah. but Altman, uh, like this is one of those. One of the things I love about Robert Altman is he had things he could do well consistently. Mm-hmm but he refused to do them all the time. And when he decided he was going to just take a left turn or, uh, or just go off the beaten path, you get a California split in yeah. my mind. Um, I, I saw California split as, um, cause it was, it's two like powerhouse actors being a duo. Oh, hell I yeah. saw, I saw it as the sting or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid for these two actors because they okay. the chemistry works so well, but the problem is in the Sting and Butch Cassidy, we like that they're criminals, mm-hmm. and California Split, we're bummed out that they're criminals. Yeah. That makes well, sense. well, like they're and, not really and, even criminals; they're just addicts, and it, it bums you out. Yeah, like in the Sting, it's it's like it's it's too. Um, they're almost like Robin Hood. Yeah, where you're like, oh yeah, we want these guys to win because fuck who they're stealing from am i right yeah. uh whereas these two are they're, they're they're just in it for i mean i'm not gonna say that the main characters in the sting aren't in it for themselves but i don't think that i don't think it's about the money for them yeah. whereas uh it's about the sickness in california mm-hmm. split yeah and the, the uh and I'm going to say this: the reason I ended at the I ended at Late Samurai for this episode um, was very similar ideas in terms of the Sting and Butch Cassidy. I wanted to do like either Rafifi or Le Cirque Rouge, which are great heist movies, but they're also about the process of the heist. Yeah, and there and I hope we can watch those together at some point in the future because i would and i don't really want to go into why i want to do that in hopes that we get to watch them together and have a talk about them but uh i'm like where the sting and les samurai kind of have processes about them that it's about this is just about this is that this is i mean california split and train spotting really aren't that different yeah and and whereas train spotting is somewhat about redemption about redemption california split is definitely a bummer <laughs> yeah uh hot rock on the other hand is a fun movie a fun movie that you should watch a fun oh, movie that you go into it thinking oh this is where the oceans movie kind of gets it i mean other than the actual oceans movie that it's based off of mm-hmm. but where it gets this thing and it's not uh, I think of California Split more like the show Leverage, okay, or um, 
I'm trying to think. There's another thing on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember. It's basically a group of really good heist men who have really bad luck. That that's hot rock. Okay, that's hot rock. And I was watching it, and my dad would watch the the end of it with me because he remembered the end. He wanted to see it again. But I was talking to him, and it's like Robert Redford won the lottery. Oh, it comes to, <laughs> comes to life. He had a, a very pretty like consistently successful career. Mm-hmm. And then on a movie that people uh, widely respect, the, the Man with the Gun, I believe is the name of it, uh, ha- has started Sundance, mm-hmm. has other ventures, mm-hmm. looks great for his age. Yeah. Like, what else could he man ask for? I just well, I I'm mean, upset. we are I, in I got America, more and more upset when I was watching for a lot, but <laughs> I was I was like we got more and more upset watching how charming he is the whole time. And my favorite thing is Robert Redford's the only character in that movie that's stressed. <laughs> Everybody else is like, we'll figure it out. And Robert Redford's like, what if we don't though? <laughs> Robert Redford's out here all doom and gloom. <laughs> like he developed like spoilers for the movie, but it's a very funny point that I think it will maybe interest you more. He develops an ulcer because of this. Oh, that's great. So there's a scene where he has to go to the doctor and the doctor explains that he's about to have an ulcer because of the stress he's under. That's, that's And he's that's, literally the only one. He's the only one. Which I think very, very how very Mikey and Nikki of you Robert Riff. <laughs> which I think I think is uh why Elliot Gould uh, Elliot Gould uh that why uh why, why did I why I I'm thinking of Elliot Gould cuz he's such a compelling actor. Um mm-hmm. but uh crap what is his name off the top of my head um why george siegel is such a good like counter in this is because he can be so not serious about everything yeah so yeah i think you should watch california split before it goes away on cartoon oh i oh i've i've seen it before oh i thought you said that's the one you hadn't seen no, no, no Split. i mean hot rock sorry i meant hot rock yeah um so what have you watched so i've watched uh very little um <clears throat> So the other night, I, and I think I posted about this in the Uppercut Discord, so if you ever want to talk to Jesse and I, you know where to find us, um, I posted that I decided to, when I was going to sleep last night, I put on Watership Down. Um, and I know in our first episode, I talked about having watched that when I was a very young child and my mother at the time was why is my kid like this movie about rabbits and violence? Uh, well, anyway, so I put that on. I I love that movie. I know it pretty much back and forth, and I know how off-putting it can be. It is on the, the Art House Animation Collection on Criterion right now, so if you've not seen it, I would highly recommend it. I will watch it by next recording, so I can tell you what I think about it. Uh cool <laughs> i mean if you, if you like it great if you don't that's cool too because it's it's there are a lot there's a lot there's a lot in it and i think because i watched it when i was a kid and i just remember loving hazel and fiverr when i was a kid like that's what sort of carried my love for it all yeah. these years like I'll bet, I mean, if I were to actually sit back and really do some serious interpretations, uh, probably, I mean, I like the fact that the, the fascist is the one that gets its comeuppance. 
maybe <laughs> but but it leaves a it leaves a lot to it leaves a lot to um interpret and i also think that the mythology presented in it is very wonderful yeah um but the other the other thing i watched isn't necessarily i'm not going to i'm not going to say it, it it falls under the movie or tv but it's definitely media uh I've been playing a lot of the game Demon Souls of late. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's one of my favorites of all time, and I watched the no clip documentary on Bluepoint remaking Demon Souls, and uh, I really like Danny O'Dwyer's documentaries. There, um, if you are interested in video games and video games as an art form and sort of their impact and and history of it, he he's done some really great work on a lot of great franchises and studios at no clip um and this is one of my favorite things i've ever seen of his so uh and it's a granted there was probably no way i wasn't gonna like it because it's one of my favorite games of all time uh even going through this remake it's amazing how much i still remember and how much i just know this game back and forth uh so if you hear this and you're into the video games, we can co-op Demon Souls if you like. I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, uh, the No Clip YouTube channel is is actually very wonderful. And, yeah, I enjoyed No Clip a lot. And it's uh, one of the few Patreons I've supported. So, well, that is what we enjoyed this week. In two weeks, we have another uh, special guest joining us. Uh, Grace Benfell will be with us. Uh, Grace in the in the machine. If you follow her on Twitter, one of the smartest minds in criticism currently, I think. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And Grace is bringing to us uh, the most Grace film. Grace said that she could ever bring to us, and that is Babette's Feast, right? Yes, nineteen eighty-seven. I yes. have not seen it. I do not know who's in it. I do not know who directed it. I barely know that it's from Denmark. Um, uh, is it from Denmark? Is it? Is it, it takes place think, in Denmark. I think it takes place in Denmark, but I'm pretty sure. Is it sure also it French? Is, it is a French film. Oh, okay. Well, uh, we're in a I, French mood. Maybe in the, the third the movie I pick the week after will be French too. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty funny. We've the we've done before sunrise, which <laughs> which oh, is gosh. <laughs> darn it. I watched I watched a French movie but in the last two weeks. I watched so many movies I forgot about. I watched uh We'll talk about Grace in a second, but Eyes Without a Face, really good horror movie. Let's, I'm going to move oh, on. Oh, Eyes Without a Face, Eyes Without yeah. a Face rules. We're not going to dwell on it, but I did watch that too, and that's also French. So, anyways. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, I mean, who knew? Who knew? French films, very good. Yeah. Um, um, I'm looking we, for the director of yeah. Babette's Feast because I'm having a problem. Oh, it is. Um, never mind. I only have the last name. The last name is Axel. It's definitely on HBO Max. It might be on the Criterion channel. I no, it's know. on HBO Max. All right, it's on HBO Max. It's in two weeks from ten, from when this comes out. It's on HBO Max currently, uh, July 28th, 2021, to date this recording. Um, yes. But yeah, that's going to be great. I, I love Grace. Um, you can find the show on Twitter at FreeReelingIt. Yes. And you can email us at FreeReelingItPod at gmail.com. Nope. 
Ah, so close. At Freeling <laughs> you're, getting, to, you're taking letters off, which means you're getting closer. It's just freereeling it at gmail.com. <laughs> well, I usually get the Twitter and the email wrong. So I got the Twitter right this time. Yes, um, you, you can find Matt at uh, infinite underscore rewind. That is me. And you can find me at Sleeper of the Bed. You can find me also on the Y Comics podcast. And you can find uh, Matt on Trivial Merit with his co-host Caroline. And what is the other podcast? Story Route Zero. That it's one. I forget. Three other I know friends. It's based off a video game. Yeah, we just we just talk about video games we're playing and possibly news. Um, Jesse. Yes. Tell me about this book. Well, it's not out yet, so I'm not going to talk about it yet. Okay. But it will be out. Uh, well, let's see this thing. It'll be out after this recording. Um, and just follow my, find my Twitter. <laughs> okay. Find, find my Twitter. I'll, it'll be a pin post probably in this week that we're recording this at some point. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, email us. Let us know what you think of the movies, all the movies we've talked about in the past. Um, leave a review wherever you listen to. Tell a friend if you like us, us rambling for an hour, hour and a half about movies. Um, Matt, who does our theme song? Uh, my friend Jason, he goes by Deadeye. Uh, that's D-E-A-D, all caps, and then the letter I. Uh, you can find him at Deadeye Productions on Instagram. Uh, it's D-E-A-D, letter I, Productions, all one word, on Instagram. Um, he's still getting he's still getting his feet wet in the music making game. He has told me recently that he is close to mixing his first album nice. uh, uh, which will include our theme song on it uh, no real release date because he's in school as well as as doing a lot of as, as working so he's, he's just working on it when he can he is a father so you know uh, he's got life obligations but the fact that he was able to turn this out in a very similar style to uh, his prior outfit uh which was called the hope street steppers they released black lightning in 2013 it's on spotify you should listen to it because i like it a lot uh and then you you should listen to it and tell me whether i'm wrong or not uh which i'm okay being wrong on this one i really love that album i uh i uh sent a photo to a friend of the show cam koenig from some good shows that the cherry pop and daddies are going to be like an hour away from me in a couple months and i'm one upset that they're legally still allowed to be called that um and yeah. two that they're so close to me and i don't like that um i mean fair but anyways fair. uh that's that's a huge tangent uh thank you guys for listening though so much i appreciate every time you guys uh listen and talk to us about it even though we're still starting out this is only episode yeah. seven um or technically eight it depends on how you count um but yeah thank you for listening uh we will catch you in two weeks uh don't expose your film to the sun that's a good one i, I think i thought it was a good catch